Hello and welcome to the What in Fintech podcast. I'm your host Tarun Gupta and our guest today is Pushkar Mukhebar, co-founder and CEO of Trip Capital. In his 13-year career, Pushkar has worked across various geographies and has a deep understanding of the global financial services industry. Prior to starting Trip Capital, Pushkar was a venture capitalist at Sama Capital and was involved with several high-growth startups in India. He has also been a consultant with Oliver Wyman and started his career at Capital One, developing credit risk analytics for the subprime consumer loans business. Pushkar holds an MBA from the Wharton School and an MS degree from the Georgia Institute of Technology. Join us as we discuss the working capital gap that SMEs face, differences in how financial services operates across the globe, doing a startup in emerging markets, the value that an MBA added to Pushkar's startup ambitions, and much more. I would also like to give a shout out to the third annual Wharton FinTech Conference scheduled for March 30th and 31st. Tickets are now live and you don't and you don't want to miss the opportunity to hear from and network with fintech leaders. This year's guest lineup includes Greatrop, QED Investors, Rubik, Visa, PayPal, Chime, Ripple, and more. Go to whatinfintechconference.com or check out our LinkedIn page to get tickets. Now on to today's episode. Pushkar, good morning. Hi, Tarang. Good morning. How are you and where are you calling in from? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm uh, currently in Mumbai. Awesome. Uh, are you enjoying the weather right now in Mumbai? Um, it's okay, actually. Bombay weather doesn't really change much throughout the year. So <laughs> it's pretty much constant, I guess. So yeah. Cool. Uh, let's write, dive right into the questions first. For our listeners who may not know, could you give an overview of your career and how you got involved in fintech? Sure. So, I guess I'll start from um, just just a sort of quick background about my family. I grew up uh, in India. Uh, I actually studied engineering um, during my during college. Um, then went on to I guess do my masters for grad school. I came to the US. I went to the US, um, finished my masters, and then in fact started my career um, in in uh, financial services. So my first job out of campus was with Capital One. And I was doing a fair amount of work on risk analytics. I think Capital One was one of the pioneers of really leveraging data to solve essentially credit, um, you know, uh, or fill credit gaps in the market, um, you know. So really leveraging data to address um, gaps which existed in the market, specifically the subprime market in the US, right? And that's where I started my career, predominantly looking at credit card and consumer portfolios um, and then went on to, I guess, um, management consulting, worked with a number of financial services clients as uh, as on various projects, you know, um, across the board. Um, so pretty familiar with the financial services industry in general, not just, not just in the US, but also globally. So spent some time in, in, in Europe, in the Middle East. And then um, I uh, went back to business school. In fact, I was at Wharton, graduated 2011. Um, and I think um, a lot of these elements of my background kind of came together, uh, you know, as I as I kind of stepped into the fintech world, right? Um, my background in technology and finance, uh, which was my training, plus the opportunities I saw specifically when it came to credit access uh, in emerging markets like India, you know. And, uh, you know, post-Wharton, I did spend a couple of years in, in venture capital, but then I think the idea was always to, if eventually, um, you know, launch my own venture. 
Um, and uh, yeah, I think it was predominantly the experiences I had growing up where I saw certain problems, which, which I believe strongly needed to be addressed, uh, combined with the, the educational and the professional training I had being a technology, tech, being an engineer by training, but then spending a number of years in financial services, um, which sort of all came together as, as we launched this venture. So as you mentioned, you spent several years in financial services, right? And you worked across geographies, be it US, Europe, or India. In your experience, what are some key differences in how the financial services industry operates in each of these geographies? Yeah. So as you would expect, I think, uh, you know, when, when we look at financial services companies in the US, um, uh, I would say that, uh, you know, just in terms of leveraging data um, to, to underwrite for decisioning, um, they're at a far more advanced stage than some of the emerging economies. Now, of course, there's been a lot of change which has been happening across emerging economies, um, more so in the last five to 10 years where there's a lot of data digitization. But I think at least if I reflect on my experiences then, uh, there was a sea of there was a world of difference between how um, you know a, a more mature U.S. financial services companies would would look at credit, would look at digit, digitization, would look at newer technologies and adopting newer technologies to service customers better, to manage risk better, etc. Um, that was definitely like one key difference. The second key difference, which at least I observed, was that in a mature market like the U.S. Uh, you had a lot more, um, uh, you know, um, kind of uh, evolution in terms of different ways of being able to offer credit, right? So you had secured creditors, you had unsecured creditors. Within that, you had different kinds of companies or different capital providers operating within different segments of the market, also at different price points, right? Um, but I think what at least I saw was that markets like India, Mexico, which are regulated, um, the regulator also restricts the kind of providers which can exist, uh, who can provide capital. The regulator also restricts the, the typical, um, you know, pricing, which, you know, um, uh, you know, financial services companies can pass on or charge their customers. But, but it's not a true free market of sorts. And, you know, and, and I think one of the big things about credit is that you know oftentimes your pricing is a reflective of the risk which you are taking right so which by by effectively restricting the price bands um, you know you are also leaving a lot of the market unserved right um, or underserved and uh, th that was the second thing which i saw right so first was of course the use of technology and data and second was just this free market and maturity in business models versus um, you know to some extent, uh, a regulated market with, with a number of restrictions. So talking about credit, let's talk about RIP Capital. What's its origin and what services do you offer? Sure. So I think we started RIP uh, really with the mission of making credit accessible for small businesses uh, globally. Uh, we specifically focused on cross-border trade because that was the area we, we found that was, you know, that Credit access was one of the biggest challenges for most SMBs in that space. I mean, globally, it's estimated that there's a $1.7 trillion trade finance gap which exists, right, in this space. 
so that was the problem we really sort of to solve and the reason why uh, most customers have challenges accessing credit is that most of them are dependent on their um local uh, banks or traditional financial institutions who would often times ask for collateral they would have a long drawn process you know they would expect financials in a way that most smbs may not have them organized and as a result many smbs don't get access to any credit or don't get access to adequate credit and hence there's a pretty large underserved segment of the market so that was the problem we really sought to solve um, we offer two kinds of products one is focused on small business sellers and uh, and really it's it's sort of an invoice discounting product where the use case is that the seller gets an order from an overseas buyer they manufacture the goods ship them out and then they are waiting 60 or 90 days to get paid and through our platform they can get paid on day 1 um and essentially use that working capital then to sell more right the second product we offer is a sort of a flexible payment term for small business buyers where let's say a small business buyer is sourcing um, from a supplier right they have to make an advance payment to the supplier but again through our platform we can advance the payment to the supplier on behalf of the buyer and the buyer instead gets like gets like 60 or 90 days to pay us back right so we we enable both sellers and buyers to get like favorable payment terms effectively in their transactions right so now as you can imagine these are small ticket short duration transactions and hence technology and data plays a huge role in being able to process like you know thousands of such transactions and being able to you know underwrite and manage risk across these transactions and that's where um, large banks don't serve this segment well and we uh, are able to uh, essentially build a the technology solution which can enable credit access for for small businesses let's dive deeper into tips business model how do you earn revenue who are your biggest customer segments and geographies and do you have any competitors so i would say uh, let's start with the with uh, the, the typical customer typical customer for us is uh, a small business which we would define as any company which is doing between let's say 100000 dollars of revenue at the lower end uh, to up to um, you know 15 odd million dollars on an annual basis right and uh, most of these are b2b customers that's the focus we have uh we do cover customers across various industries whether it's agro commodities ready made garments um you know industrial good manufacturers boat traders and manufacturers so there's a variety of industries and kind customers we cover right um in terms of geographies we do work with over 6000 odd businesses as sellers or buyers spread across 80 plus countries however our major presence in terms of acquiring customers or um, acquiring sellers or buyers is in three key markets which is uh, india mexico and the us right uh, so there we do have um, our lot of our sales effort focus but then the idea is that while we onboard companies in these markets through these companies we can tap into the broader network of sellers and buyers right and as a result we do work with companies across the world in terms of our revenue model um it typically is a is a commission or a fee we charge for every transaction and uh, so for a typical 60 day transaction the customer would end up paying us something like 2% you know 
So whatever is the transaction value, like typically uh, up to 2% of that on, on a typical 60-day transaction is what we charge the customer. Uh, and uh, the, 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 our model is that we also sell these assets to institutional and non-institutional investors. So we are essentially a platform. Uh, we originate the asset, but then we distribute it to a variety of capital market providers, um, largely in the US, right? And um, uh, and I think you the third the fourth question you had was uh, around competition. So I would say that we have been a pioneer in the markets uh, we've uh, we've operated in so far. There are a few competitors, but uh, you know in in specific pockets. So for example, in the US, like you know uh, Flexport, which is another um, you know startup logistic startup, they also have a trade finance offering. So sometimes we do run into them. You know, we in Latin America or Mexico, we have some specific local startups which are competing with us uh, there. Uh, but I would say that uh, that being said, I think we are definitely the market leader in this space, um, you know, uh, across um, the markets we operate in. Yeah. Another interesting thing I want to get a take on is the fact that historically, small and medium businesses have been a tough segment for fintechs, right? What was your strategy about breaking into these or building those relationships with these businesses? Yeah. So I think, I personally think that being able to um, cater effectively to small and medium-sized businesses, uh, I think you kind of need to pretty much have a end-to-end solution where technology is a, is a key aspect of, of your product or of your solution uh, because that's what enables you to you know, profitably serve this segment of the market, right? Uh, and and that then applies to all aspects of your product, right? Whether it's acquisition, whether it's uh, servicing, whether it's collection, whether it's underwriting, right? So you you almost had to think about an end-to-end technology-enabled uh, solution to be able to cost-effectively service this segment and basically be able to process these small-ticket transactions, right? So so I would say that I think has been key. The second thing is also the the um, you know the the nature of our product or our offering, right? Uh, so when you typically look at small businesses, one of the big challenges is your cost of acquisition tends to be high if you have like you know a, a, a sales model which which is like requires like you know um, in person um, acquisition etc. Right? So I think first is that you know we manage the cost of acquisition very well by really leveraging partnerships. Partnerships is a huge driver of business for us. And we work with all kinds of ecosystem players, whether it's logistics companies who are, who are kind of servicing this segment of the market, whether it's even banks who are servicing this uh, to some extent have the branch network, but don't have this kind of an offering, you know, um, or, you know, we're also looking at sort of e-commerce companies and so on and so forth, right? Like, so getting or having using aggregators is a key aspect of our acquisition strategy. And the second thing is also the nature of our product. See, we, our product is almost like a credit line for the customer. So once they get onboarded, it's not like it's a one-time use kind of a product. You know, they continuously use us. So we've seen customers who've been with us now for four or five years also. And on a consistent basis, whether it's every month, every quarter, they would have some transaction which they would still process through our platform. So what happens because of that is that we are able to, 
as long as we manage risk well, we are able to generate a pretty high uh, lifetime value for the customer, you know. And that's where the unit economics really start to work because your your uh, long term value or lifetime value then tends to be significantly more than your cost of acquisition. You know? And then just having that technology be a key enabler across all aspects of the customer lifecycle is very critical to then manage things. Switching gears, I want to talk more about Drip's growth, right? So you were backed by several like known investors, including Axel, Sequoia, and Y Combinator. How do you go about selecting an investor? And do you feel that at different stages of a company, what the investor of what you see from the investor changes? Um, so I guess in terms of uh, talking through, you know, um, how we went about selecting the investors and uh, that aspect of our journey. So at some level, I think part of it is also that at different stages, you just have a different set of investors. You would typically be interested or be looking at investing in um, the startups, right? So at a very early stage, seed stage, you know, Y Combinator uh, was, um, you know, one of the best things which happened to us. I I, I think at, a, at such an early stage, when you're still trying to find your product market fit, you know, just being part of that, of the incubation program at YC, uh, learning from a number of founders, like being part of a community, um, just learning some very basic things, which like, you know, kind of sound obvious, but, you know, actually implementing them in practice is something you need to constantly be pushed to um, things like, you know, launch fast and fail or, you know, really focus on your users and nothing else matters, you know? So these things, which YC always talks about, you actually sort of live them in practice, you know, when, when you go through the batch or when you go through the program. So that was phenomenal. I would say once we graduated, we had some product market fit. We already started seeing some customer traction. It was then about raising capital to help start driving us to scale up. You know? And um, fortunately, we were, uh, Axel and Sequoia have been great partners. Um, Bing as well is another, uh, another VC firm out of the valley. Uh, and all three of them have been amazing partners helping us on various aspects, right? Um, I think in terms of selecting these partners, uh, a key element for us was, you know, just our chemistry with the with the specific partner who is going to be involved with the company. At the end of the day, while these are large funds, the ultimate ultimately how you engage with them really comes down to the specific partner who is engaged with us, right? So that was a key aspect. And just given their breadth and depth of experience within fintech and within the markets we operate in was another big plus because a lot of things they have seen and they could help us avoid some mistakes which you know uh, are pretty critical to manage as you as you scale the company and uh, that then continues to evolve uh, see today you know actually now at the stage we are at we we are looking for or we continue to get involved with more uh, strategic partners, right? So uh, as part of our last round, we had uh, certain investors who are uh, either large family offices in specific market who could open up doors there. They could also be uh, folks who could connect us with a lot of debt capital providers because ultimately uh, a key element of scaling up this business is also the supply of capital as a platform, right? So if you could open up doors to insurance companies or more banks, that those are the kinds of partners who are super valuable at, at this stage of the company. 
so i think it evolves as the as you pro- kind of progress along your journey um and um, yeah i think it's been a great experience working with all these investors what's next for trip where do you see the company in the next 5 years and do you see yourself expanding uh, geographies or product offerings so i would say both our um, you know mission has evolved from being a trade finance platform to now uh, moving towards trade facilitation and i think just having worked with a lot of the small businesses across multiple geographies we realize that uh, it's customers while finance or access to capital is a, is a critical problem for them to really scale up their business it just goes beyond that right uh, they they need many of these smbs uh, need solutions around handling their foreign exchange um, you know hedging their foreign exchange sometimes uh, finding insurance providers or being able to insure their business or or their shipments uh, finding new buyers or suppliers right so i think we realize that we have a much or we we can have a much bigger role to play in this ecosystem and expand beyond uh, access providing credit access to a lot of these other problems which the small businesses have geographical expansion is just natural given that we uh, work with sellers and buyers and we are in the cross border trade we will continue to get more and more customers across the world um, latin america is very interesting as a geography you know highly underserved very uh, large amount of smb trade south asia is also uh, very interesting you know with the base in india we have opportunities to expand within this region so i would say that um, over the next 5 years i would look at trip capital as a as a more, much more geographically diversified company with multiple products but within the cross border trade ecosystem and for the growth you need the right people so is trip hiring if yes what do you look for in potential colleagues we are always hiring i think of course just given the macro environment right now we have paused hiring uh, for the interim but again i think some of this is is temporary i think uh, you know as as i mean i'm sure all of you are also you are also following the the global macro uh, uh, you know changes which are happening but but that being said i think we i'm i'm really like glad to have kind of you know um, brought on board some really um, really strong leaders along the way right and i think uh, as you said like at some level uh, you know you can only accomplish um, bigger and larger things if you are able to build build the right leadership team and then really align them towards a mission so in terms of um, what we look for i would say that uh, cultural fit is very critical for us at the end of the day we realize that everything ultimately becomes about being able to uh work with each other about being humble about being um you know uh, being a team true team player um so and these are strong cultural elements which you would probably see amongst most leaders and in fact even even two levels down at drip right and across offices the second thing is um really um kind of strong problem solving skills right i think what you know when you're solving the problem which hasn't been solved before in the way it's being solved now you need very strong first principle thinkers you need folks who can look at data who can analyze data who can who can who can really think about problems in a very first principles way i think that's very critical now that being said in certain functions you also need that domain expertise because there are certain things where you don't want to reinvent the wheel something 
which already has been done and done well you want to sort of you know take the right kind of domain expertise or bring on folks who with the right kind of domain expertise however that being said problem solving is still a, a very important skill which we which we look for right and um, third is uh, folks who are who are who are driven by the mission who who want to scale up right and really tenure or experience matters less i think there are folks i have seen through the 5 6 years i've been running the company who, who naturally scale up you know um and in a startup i think often times like a 25 year kind of you know journey can get compressed in 5 years right so it's really up to the individual to see how they can scale up so uh while so we look for that kind of potential now of course uh, you don't always get it right but we've seen many folks who've been with us right from the beginning take on bigger and bigger roles started in as started as an individual contributor now managing teams of like 80 100 people um you know so and that's like always nice to see and uh, those are the best those are the kinds of folks who can really help build a company i would love to get a take on the global or as it touched upon the macroeconomic environment right now right what are certain segments within fintech that you think will really drive its growth in the next 5 years and what are certain segments that you bearish on yeah a good question uh, so i think uh, we are still seeing generally speaking uh, still very early days uh, you know of the fintech revolution i mean if you look at globally financial services as an industry is is really really massive right and you're just starting to see innovation happening in various pockets within that industry just now right and uh, and many of these companies while they are scaling up uh, there's a long long way to go so in general i'm very bullish on fintech as an industry now given the recessionary um, you know uh, environment right now i i would be um, bearish on companies which don't have a very strong unit economic model or a business model which is largely driven based on hey we'll acquire like a million users first burn a, a lot of money and then figure out how we monetize it or then figure out how we you know uh, make unit economics work those companies are unlikely to survive this downturn given the fact that equity is going to be hard to come by every company is trying to control burn and it's a it's going to be a funding winter for the next 12 18 months right so unless you have proven out profitable unit economic model uh, you're going to have a hard time in the next two years for sure and for the last segment what i'd like to do is have a rapid fire questions uh, with you to introduce you more as a person as an individual to our listeners my first question for you is what is a fun fact about you that most people don't know uh fun fact about me i um, i love traveling and i'm a big foodie um you know i i was um, i was about to hit sort of 40 countries before i turned 40 um, but unfortunately covid happened <laughs> but uh, but yeah i i i love traveling and uh, you know i'm a big foodie so yeah my next one is sort of a hot question you started your startup or venture post your mba and there are questions about what is the value of an mba for people who want to launch their own ventures what is your take on this do you think that doing an mba help you excel as an entrepreneur and what advice would you give to people who are considering between starting a venture or going to business school personally i think it was uh, it was uh, super helpful because uh, a lot of i met my co-founder there 
uh, firstly secondly i met a lot of my early investors who backed the company in the early days were through my network which uh, i built through the business school um thirdly i i do think it adds a level of credibility uh, when when you uh, when you've had the opportunity to go through a sort of a top mba program and uh, uh, and i think i i also do think that a lot of the mba training you 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 just um at some level understand basics of finance basics of a bunch of other areas which you encounter as part of running the business whether it's people management operations management finance so on so forth uh, which as a techie or as a technical person uh, you're not that familiar with and rather than i think it is that that crash course of a two year mba does help uh, when you think about these issues or when you do encounter these kinds of challenges in your venture right um so my advice to folks would be that uh, i think it is super helpful uh, at least personally i think so and uh, and yeah i think in terms of uh, so tight to that in terms of the advice on whether folks who are thinking of starting up versus um, you know going to mba i would say the the advice i would give is that go to a mba but then start while you are pursuing your mba i think that's the best uh, combination at some level because two year mba you have your safety net meaning that you're not you're out of the workforce anyway uh, but uh, actually launching a venture becomes really a, a practical implementation of what you learn in the class to running your venture and you can also tailor your class work in a way that you take classes you you specifically take courses which are geared towards helping that helping your venture and i've had some friends who started during business school and i think if i was to go back and one thing i would look to change is um if i i had if i mean no i would i would definitely would have loved to launch by let what is the one thing you miss most about wharton uh, i think it's just uh, you know all the all the friends and the the you know the social connections you build right i think uh, uh that's that's what you eventually kind of remember <laughs> you know of course the coursework is there and projects are there but i think the most the fondest memories are uh, all the crazy parties you had and you know all the crazy trips you went on um so so it's really the the people uh, and being able to hang out with them as much as you do at business school so If you could go back in time, what advice would you give to your younger self, or is there anything that you, or a decision that you would change? So yeah, I think one was the the question you asked earlier, which is I I would have loved to start earlier. Uh, perhaps the right time was starting during business school rather than you know uh, going down. Like if my eventual goal was to start, you know, I I, I probably. went with the crowd of recruiting while at business school getting into a private equity venture capital kind of a job spending 2 3 years and realizing this was not for me before then taking taking the plunge to start right so uh, that would be one decision i would definitely change yeah other than that i feel uh, you know no regrets what role have mentors played in your career and how did you go about building these relationship with these mentors so mentors have absolutely played a key role um the i don't think i have i did anything um 
you know uh, specifically to build these mentors uh, mentorship network or find mentors a lot of it happened naturally i think you uh, through your work experiences through your educational experiences you come across people who really inspire you um you know and one thing leads to another right i think so uh, at some level uh, i i feel like of course you, you you can be more kind of um, thoughtful about it but personally for me it was not super thoughtful it was just people i encountered along the way who really inspired me um and led me to where where i am i guess amazing on that note pushkar we'll let you go but thank you so much for being with us today thank you thank you tarang it was a pleasure joining this conversation thank you for listening to today's episode of the what in fintech podcast if you like the show then please show us some love on social media or consider leaving a review it means a lot to us and helps spread the word to more listeners if you want more content from our fintech community please subscribe to our podcast and find us on linkedin instagram twitter and medium at wharton fintech there you will find interviews articles videos and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry as always special thanks to our editor rafael osteria signing off until next time i am your host tarang gupta